Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path, episode Woo-hoo. 130. Mm-hmm. Yep, Woo. true. Any 130 facts from anybody? Uh, no. 130 is when I crash after lunch and need a nap. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> ah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, time. <laughs> Excellent. So for those of you enjoying your after lunch naps, uh, <laughs> please listen to the dulcet sounds of us uh, doing something dangerous. <laughs> Well, right now we're about to get a vision from the mask. That's true. Oh, yeah, it's mask yep, time. Yep, we are. Is true. When last we left our heroes, the doorkeepers, delving down beneath the uh, the Catfolk village in the Red Ravine in the northern parched dunes, had found an ancient workshop, one of Chisisek's many ancient workshops scattered about the wastes, wherein he seemed to have been constructing a armor referred to as the Bronze Sentinel. Mm-hmm. It's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. Pretty nifty. It, it reminds me of the um, uh, suits or whatever from Aliens that she gets into mm. to like move the crates and stuff, oh, and then yeah. she yes. uses it eventually to like the whoop up loader. on a yeah. freaking you know alien queen. Yeah. Yep. If only Masika jumped in there, Norma could have been like, "Get away from her, you!" <laughs> 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 no. Instead, the the party had had to fight off a quartet of mummified lynxes still technically uboski even though they're uboski blown up to massive size mm. fun times yeah big and, and citra once again ran away so did hollis <laughs> yeah hollis really ran away yeah you guys are further than me but uh yeah, apparently you, like, i just away and everything citra's got like an, a reaction every time uboski come up that she's just like nope even sudi <laughs> was uh was pretty freaked out by that and would have run off mm-hmm. if it weren't for a well-timed spell yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure after the fight, his uh, his cattail was probably still like a like a scrubbing brush, poofed <laughs> out, sticking all the way out from him. A little puffy, <laughs> little puffy. <laughs> but after that, they had uh, made their way back upstairs, and the cat folk, happy for their success, had put on some. Uh, well, after they nice stopped panicking, after they stopped panicking, because <laughs> they were also in the fear effect area of the screeching mm. Uboski. There was then a, a big celebration, at the very least, in that you'd return two of their people alive in the forms of uh, Farah and Kurtesh. Kurtesh, yeah. There had been much rejoicing and everything, and the music from the Ewoks, the Return of the Jedi, started playing. Oh, that was exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Mm, the yep. little pipes going on. I was thinking either that or the music for the, uh, I think only Heather might get this. But the music that plays whenever you're back in the uh, prehistoric age in Chrono Trigger, oh, and then you're yeah. doing like the celebration with the cave people. I like I like that music. God, such, it's so great. Go and check it out. Anyway, following that, Masika had had a uh, an opportunity to talk with her mentor a little bit, and Citra hanging out there. I think Hollis had retired early, also. Yep, to cast Dream. To cast Dream. And, Try to reach out to uh, your friend who may or may not be, you're fairly certain at this point, is mm-hmm. possessed by the the Ib of Hakatep. Pretty sure. Pretty darn sure. Very sure now after it's dream. just whether or not we can unpossess her. We need mm-hmm. to figure out how to do an Egyptian-style exorcism. True. Yep. Really any style. An Osirian-style exorcism. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it involves uh, taking the heart out and putting it on a scale. Kalima. No, that, that's how you kill them. We're, we're talking about an exorcism. It's a little different. Usually, you try to, you know, have the person live at the end. Yeah, it's true. Not no Siri. <laughs> death, death is just the beginning. All right, Emotab. Yep. 
who's Sudi. actually a very respected figure in actual Egyptian history. An architect, right? Mm-hmm. Built the first he, pyramid he, and yeah, is a god. Yeah, he, he built the pyramids at Djoser. Sudi, however, listening to the crowds, drinking, chatting with people, you know, enjoying actually spending some time with some uh, some fellow cat folk for a change. Amaran. Then heard a distant sound of celebration that was not the cat folk. Not even necessarily celebration, a distant sound of a, a large crowd of some form of festivity. And then realized that it was coming from the headdress that he wears. This is why we can't have nice things. At which point I think he'd he'd hastily excuse himself from the table, making some sort of excuse. Uh, I think he and Citra had made a very poor bluff check, no, but everyone no. else was drunk. <laughs> I actually did a decent bluff check, thank you very much, and then it helped that everyone was drunk. <laughs> very well. Yep. Had rushed upstairs, had found uh, Hollis, I think a little dejected. Yeah. Hollis is having a bad day. She'd set all of that aside as uh, as Sudi'd come in. You know, they quickly shut the door. And by shut the door, I mean pulled the curtain because there's just a curtain. Yeah, what are are doors? They don't do doors here. And Sudi had pulled forth the mask of Hakatep, slid it over his face as the metal had shifted and conformed. Again, with that cool sensation as it rolls across your face. Yikes. I think I'm the only one that's read uh, uh, Ember in the Ashes, but it reminds mm, me I've of read the. That. Well, oh, well, yeah, because I made you read that because it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the Ember in the Ashes uh, book by Saba Tahir, the I guess graduates from the school in the book have these masks, like because they're referred to as the masks, and they do that same thing where it like it's like mercury where it just conforms to their face and like mm. attaches. It's kind of creepy. I always have two thoughts is one, it would be like a mud mask or two. Did anyone else have those uh, little tray things when you were a kid well, that you could like put needles. your hand on and it would oh, make no, you shake you your hand? You don't want to put your face for, on them because yeah. it hurts. So it hurts a lot. <laughs> just it's not with like your crevices. eyes open. Not with your eyes open. You close your eyes first. <laughs> that was your first mistake, Jordan. <laughs> oh, I know I was doing something wrong. <laughs> wow. But, Sudi, you slide the mask on. Citra, I suppose, quickly making certain that the doors close. Hollis probably pulling out her journal. Yep. A little silky chicken head sticking out from around the corner, attentively There's listening. Gossip happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is one of her shows. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's a very irregular schedule, but I enjoy it nonetheless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're getting back into the Hakatep subplot. Excellent. <laughs> I hope they resolve this before Sudi's evil twin comes back. <laughs> oh my god we're days of our lives dramatic irony only sugar has seen it <laughs> she is the viewer Sudi you close your eye the mask conforms to your face question before you get into the serious stuff so does the the mask like show that you don't have the other eye or is it like no, does it the, make the it open, look the open cool. eye slit on the other side would just show his uh, eye patch Oh, okay. Again, yeah, like it conforms to whatever I've got on my face. So okay. yeah. I was just curious. Yeah. I didn't know if there was like, like if it would make it look like it was. I did not want to think about it going into complete. my eye socket. Like, no. no. Well, no, it's... I was thinking it was like going to make it look like you didn't have a missing eye or something like that. Yeah. No, because there's just two eye holes that you stare out from. So ah, it doesn't okay. cover your eyes whenever you're wearing it. Oh, okay. So do you slide on the mask? The sound of the distant crowds becomes clearer. The sound of the... The Amaran outside fades to the background. Your companions fades to the background. The warmth of the evening here turns into a certain almost coolness. You open your eye to find yourself standing upon a platform, a large stone platform 
at the top of a set of stairs. Only maybe six or seven steps leading up to where you stand. Four massive pillars, columns, hold up an arch. Two of the columns off towards your left, two of the columns off towards your right, and the arch stretching over the top of your head. And from here, you can see the causeway, the procession, a long, straight road leading ahead of you down to the edge of the Sphinx River. At the very least, you assume the Sphinx River just judging by its size. It's nighttime. The half moon hangs high in the sky and paints everything in silver. Torches line the pathway leading up to where you are, and a strange procession of statues being carried by four servants, one at each corner of their base, makes their way up towards the stairs, up towards where you're standing. As you look behind you, you can see the massive temple. And then far off towards your left in the distance, you can see Sothis. Or again, you only assume Sothis as the river runs towards it and is massive in size. The only city on the Sphinx River large enough. As you look about, you see that you're surrounded by others men and women around you. Directly ahead of you, immediately off towards your right and left, separated by some maybe five feet, are the two boys, wearing their finest clothing. Each of them watches the procession as they approach. The older figure of Dahamra stands nearby, eyeing the procession as it makes its way forward. The servants stop, the statues between them. The first coming up, you can see a statuette of Bastet, or Best, whichever you prefer. The feline goddess statue some five feet high, as if it was an actual woman. The servants turn and shift, as if the statue is looking between the two boys, before one of the servants in the front right side kneels slightly, causing the statue to incline its head in the direction of the older prince. There's a polite applause that goes up from the crowd surrounding this platform. You'd say, maybe 100, 200 people? nobles judging by the quality of their dress although they are accompanied in turn by their servants who carry gifts you're going to guess for the future princes as the statue bows the servants or lay priests carrying it turn and continue on their way as the next statue makes its way forward in procession you look over to see that not only is nahamra here but he is joined as well by the high priest of set the boy's uncle chopera are they adults, or are they still kids at this point? You keep saying boys, and I'm confused. Well, they're the same age as when Sudi last saw them, which means that the older one is probably 20, uh, and the younger one's 16. Okay, but he has the big scar oh, yeah. and everything, because that was the last time we saw them when he was meeting Chisisek. It is not as far forward as when he met Chisisek, but it seems to be after it seems to be after the meeting at the Temple of Set. Okay, so it's after the duel, but before Chisisek. Yeah. Okay. So, I to clarify, <laughs> I suppose to clarify something is the triggering when you reached the Chisisek's workshop, that triggered the mass to send you a memory related to that and not related to the narrative that you'd seen up until that point. Okay. So normally they've been in there. order. Yes. So, okay. You think this one is in chronological order. But uh-huh. when, when you saw Chisisek, Hakatep was Pharaoh. Yeah, but that's when why they went I back was to the confused. temple of Set, Hakatep was still not Pharaoh and his father was there. Okay, so that's why I was confused and asking. Okay. Their uncle stands nearby, as well as his wife. But I think you got her name at some point through research and not actually through the mask's visions. I'm not sure if we've gotten too many names from the actual mask's visions. Standing next to these two 
priest and priestess of Set, you can see the young dark girl, the young woman that you'd seen talking to the crowds and providing prophecy to the people in the streets of Sothis. Standing next to her is the elven woman that was accompanying them when they went to meet the pharaoh on his sickbed. You can also see some other figures scattered up here that have bear resemblance to the boys. Mostly young women ranging in age from maybe their early 20s to some as young as maybe 10. And judging by the familial resemblance, you think sisters, perhaps? There is no sign of the pharaoh. Mm. As the next statue makes its way forward, pauses. The servants turn to make the statue look between the two boys before it bows to the older boy. This time, a statue of Anubis. Oh, this must be the picking. The statue turns and makes its way. The older prince lets out a sigh and shifts, his thumbs steadily tracing the edge of a dagger that he has partially unsheathed at his side. Hmm. Hmm. He glances back over his shoulder towards Nahamra, who stands nearby. Is this going to take much longer? The Nethian smiles. You're impatient, I understand. But this was your father's wish. My father isn't here, Nahamra. The boy glances back. Yes, your father has passed with honor. The older boy shakes his head. My father was crushed by a slab inspecting his tomb. <laughs> I'd hardly call that with honor. <laughs> oh, wow. golly. No respect for the dead with him. The boy glances back over towards him. There wasn't enough to even mummify. The Hamra inclines his head. The boy's uncle, the pharaoh's brother, smiles. Oh, you well. are correct, young prince. An unfortunate accident. Air quotes. Oh, but X. was it? <laughs> but soon this will be done, and Osirian can enjoy a new age. His uncle's hand reaches up and traces along his symbol of Set as he looks back as the next statue makes its way forward. A new age of leadership. A new age of Osirian dominance. The older boy nods. The younger, 16 now perhaps. The same age, Sudi, as when you saw him in the back streets when he went to see the, the young woman standing just down from him, his mm -hmm. cousin, preaching to the crowds. He glances over, looks at the two priests on either side of his elder brother, glances back over towards his other side, where the young dark girl, no taller than about five feet, just stands there and does not watch the procession, but seems as if she's been watching him this entire time. Dark eyes staring unblinkingly. The younger man shifts somewhat uncomfortably and looks back. The procession continues, one after the next. Nahamra steps over towards the younger boy. Your time will come. Your brother knows your abilities, and he appreciates them. The boy looks out. I think you're wrong, Nahamra. The older man smiles indulgently. Oh, really? The younger boy looks up towards him. My brother has no idea what I'm capable of. Ooh. Spicy. The older man looks between the two, and Sudi, for a moment, you see this hint of a smirk that reminds you so much of Citra. That's your great, great. This just almost mischievous smile and nod. Only three statues remain. Nethys, Horus, Osiris. The statue of Nethys makes its way forward, looks between the two boys. The man kneels, the statue 
inclines its head back towards the older brother. The priests turn before stopping. Mm -hmm. Almost in mid-step, causing the priests immediately behind carrying the statue to Horus to nearly run into their back. The men shudder, and a commotion goes up through the crowd of confusion before the Nethian statue's head turns. Oh, my boy, Nethus. One arm raises up his left arm as he points to the younger brother. Whoa. A voice rolls out, not from the statue, but seemingly from inside of your chest. I have chosen. There is a peal of thunder in the distance. Whoa. The statue then splits into straight down the center and collapses into dust. As it hits the ground, it washes out like a sea of black sand. And from it sprout river lilies, which grow into a wide, almost mask shape across the ground in front of the two. There are screams from the crowd. Many collapse down to their knees, raising their heads up. The priests of Nethys breaking free of whatever enchantment was holding them. The priests then weep in place as Nahamra stops and stares. After a moment, the crowd begins a chant. Ramos, 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 Ramos. Oh, no. The younger boy stares towards Nahamra, back towards the crowd, and for a moment looks back over his shoulder to the young, dark girl who said before the year's end, the pharaoh would be gone and he would be pharaoh. The chant of Ramos, Ramos continues louder and louder. The boy steps forward, raises a hand as the crowd quiets. Over his shoulder, you can see the older brother's face twisted in disbelief and fury as his set-eyed uncle grabs his arm and keeps him from pulling his dagger fully free. The younger boy lowers his hands. We have come today for the choosing of the gods, and it would seem that they have spoken. The statues of Horus and Osiris flank one another as the priests make their way forward. As the forward priests have both the statues bow their head, not to the older brother as seemed to have been choreographed, but to the younger. The boy looks out. I accept my father's burden. Nethus is pleased. Magic is pleased. <laughs> the priest Nahamra steps forward. <laughs> you will take their place then. Stand as the living horse. Dejerdit the second, he holds up a hand. No. I choose a different path from my father. There's a distant sound of thunder that rolls through. Magic will lift us above this earth mm. and allow us to take our place as the dominant power in all of Garoon, the inner sea, and beyond. I am Hakotep. The thunder claps again and the vision fades as Sudi stands in the center of this room surrounded by his friends. Please tell me that Sudi is doing the, you know, I am Hakotep. Yep. He's whispering. He's just he doing, he's just doing he's like the sound effects for sound it so that everybody can hear it. <laughs> Boom, clap. Wild, wild. 
He wow. planned that. I don't know, man. That's like some crazy levels of magic for somebody to not even be casting it at that moment. Well, okay. So Sudi, I guess, will take off the mask. And I, I'm imagining he looks pretty shaken by that, too. I've never seen magics anything like that. I need you to describe every detail of it because, uh, A, I need to know if I can recall anything similar. But B, that sounds rad as That's why I follow Nethus. That guy knows what's up. Uh, <laughs> Paul's just like, I just missed the religious experience. Let's do share like memory so I can watch it. <laughs> Actually, you could do share memory. And I like, mean, share it wouldn't be a half bad idea. Not a bad idea, but uh, Sudi will describe in as much detail as he can the you know the statue's animation it collapsing into dust the peals of thunder on what i'm assuming was a cloudless day it wasn't like it, it was a like cloudless rain. night yeah it like springing a bunch of lilies out of this dust hmm. does it sound like something that a normal magician could do like a wizard i, I mean with it. multiple spells or a very complex illusion feasibly mm. although a complex illusion that would cover enough area to affect hundreds of people in that crowd mm. would be difficult. Ah, it feels pretty deific to me. Mm. Oh, that's interesting in a couple ways. Hakatep chosen by Nethys, betrayed by the high priest of Nethys. Maybe he strayed from what Nethys stood for eventually? Uh, Nethys doesn't stand know. for nothing except magic. Unless he turned away from magic, but that's mm, unlikely. Maybe. That doesn't seem like he's in The interesting thing about it is it looked like Hakatep or Ramos, he wasn't super surprised by it, so he must have known it was going to happen. So I don't know if it's the ific or not. He did say that cryptic, uh, doesn't know what I'm capable of stuff. I mean, game mechanically, if if he actually pulled all of that off, he would have to have still spell and silent spell and cast multiple spells to be able to do that. He would have to be like a 20th level spellcaster. Like, that's exactly. Some, so, yeah. like, I don't know. I mean, who knows? Yeah. The curtain opens up as Masika steps in and looks around. <laughs> yeah. Nara just kind of pokes out. Hey, gosh. It looks yeah. like we missed something important. <laughs> the last division. Something like that. Hmm. Well, I guess the uh, cousin or whatever she is was quite the prophetess. I mean, that wouldn't be that unusual. Ah, back when prophecy used to work, things were so much easier, <laughs> I imagine. Hmm. 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 I mean, I guess he'll sit down and like relay to Masika and Narmer exactly what he saw in as much detail as he can recall. So who's the older brother? Not the pharaoh. I'm not sure what happens to him. I don't know if we have any records of him that we've mm. seen. Seems like, like he was not very pleased about what happened either. I mean, would you, could you imagine it? It was a choreographed thing that was supposed to just announce him. It was all a show, and then the show gets derailed by whatever this interference is. Mm. I'm sure he thought that there was something afoul. Mm. Well, you know, he follows sets, so, like, he, shouldn't he like evil stuff? I don't think it usually works like that. They want it to work in their favor. I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I mean, you can make a knowledge religion if you so wish. I will. I will also. Uh, I roll a nine for a 25. Not my best roll. I roll a four for a nine, so I know nothing. Well, and, again, Onyurs isn't here, but we know that he had a son who eventually became Dejerd at the second because Hakatep is on yours's great uncle. Mm-hmm. So the older... Oh, fair yeah. point, yeah. Well, we don't know if it was the uncle's kid, though. It could have been any of the sisters that oh, were yeah, standing there. Oh, yeah, it's got a bunch there. of sisters, too. That's true. Why not both? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. 
We don't know. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> that's uh, been it's that... you, but also possible. Yeah. Well, that's what the but, Setites are doing. Yeah. Hollis, you do know with your knowledge of religion, Set is neutral evil and is the god of uh, darkness, deserts, basically just the anti-horse. Mm. And uh, evil and madness, all the rest of that stuff. So, like, uh, he's also the god of murder. Oh, well, you yeah. know, like you do. So. Great. Well, he did murder Osiris. True. Well, that's something interesting, I suppose. Have we seen previously if there were previous pharaohs who were mostly gave obedience to Nethys? Like, is this kind of like a coup of some sort from like the very other first gods? two the pharaohs? Very first both. two pharaohs. Yeah, yeah, both were followers of Nethys. The first one being the one that founded Osirian and raised it basically into a golden age and then was immediately followed by a mad woman who burned down the temple of Nethys, lit half of Sothis on fire and mm-hmm. tried her best to destroy almost all the entirety of the nation. Such as Nethys. Yeah. Hmm. Pretty much the moment she ascended to the throne, Nethys drove her mad with unstoppable power. And then he was like, Ooh. you know, I guess I'll just chill out. <laughs> yeah, maybe I shouldn't get involved. Well, that he didn't got involved out the first right. time, and he decided to do the nice side of magic. Sure. The second time, he was like, well, I'll try another thing. Okay, so that that's also probably why they they took that message from Nethys very, very seriously. It would be, you know, the birth of their nation was basically, you know, caused by Nethys. And so if Nethys well, is interfering that directly. Well, they think Nethys was actually the first pharaoh. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Well, there's it's a whole back and forth. He's sometimes attributed as the first pharaoh in that he was the one that granted the power of the pharaoh to Azkahad the first. That's a whole big thing in Assyrian. That's a deal with. with, Yeah. Yeah. I'm still curious. It seems like Nahamra, my ancestor, was working with Hakatan and supported him. So I'm curious as to what broke down between the two of them, because the betrayal had to have happened before the splitting mm-hmm. of the mask. Like, we know that that's a whole another horrible thing that he did, but something happened before then, too. Well, you know, Hakatep died of something, because if Nahamra was still alive, I mean, Hakatep was much younger than him, so he probably didn't die of natural causes. That's what I'm thinking. And then the vision we saw with Chisasek, he was still at the right hand of Hakatep, so it had to be after the construction of whatever they've got in the desert, the flying pyramids and all of that. Mm. Well, yeah, I got some big scars somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although you've only seen it in that one vision and haven't seen it subsequently. So, you know, yeah. it's after he became Pharaoh, but before he met or before he met Chisisek. I mean, it could literally be getting, given from his brother, could have gotten in a battle. I mean, that's not really definitive yet. I wouldn't be surprised if his brother, like, raised up an army and tried to go against him. Or if his brother just stuck, snuck into his bed and tried to well, stab tried him to in the face. Him. That's, 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 that's most too. likely what I think that's is going to happen murder. is his brother is going to try to assassinate him. Sad is sneaky murder. <laughs> He's like Norgaber, but Osiriani. That's cool. I like how that just seems to be probably Hollis's response to it's like he was all jealous of his brother's magical power, so he tried to do something like stick a metal stick in him instead of kill him with magic, like would have been proper. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. If I die, I hope it's because of magic, y'all. Should have had a big divine versus arcane knock knock down drag out fight. Mmm, that would have been rad. Anywho. Well, I suppose let's get some rest before we uh, venture into the sightless sphinx tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Not really looking forward to this. No, it's going to be real bad. Well, I'm excited. Why? Why? I mean, it's going to be a big cool place. Probably with lots of rooms and, and neat stuff. Full of and no pets evil to acquire. things. He does one pet. That's the rule. 
<laughs> what if his pet has a pet? No. Don't give him suggestions. <laughs> you already said it was okay that I had both the scorpion and Rocky. He holds up the rock and the scorpion. Uh, yes, Rocky is fine. Okay. No more. I promise. No more scorpions. No more pets. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no more pets. I mean, at least he's got fins, so it's not like he can cross them behind his back. It's true. Watch his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Crosses his eyes. <laughs> there are the gateways to the shoal. Although mine's actually in my chest. <laughs> Hollers, wa- Hollers. Hollers. Hollers wanders <laughs> off to go to sleep. I guess Studio post up by the door. I mean, it, he doesn't have to sleep that much, so he's just going to be awake for the next couple of hours and then sleep a bit. Contemplate everything. Yeah, try to try to like... I guess cement as many of the details of the interactions with Hakatep's older brother, his his cousin, Nahamra. Just try to, like, cement that as much as possible in his mind. Okay. You all settle in. Make yourselves comfortable. Rest up through the night. Wake up the following morning. You don't need to mark off any trail rations. The the Amagron are happy to feed you. Nice. Mostly with what, you know, is still left over from... They've reheated the food from last night. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with a little breakfast leftovers. It's true. True. Hollis is going to cast Greater Reversion, which takes her about 20 minutes. It's a very neat spell. She uh, essentially creates a fine-tuned replica of herself in the Akashic Record. And if I drop below half hit points at any point, I can essentially absorb the strength out of my replica and gain 3d8 plus 10 uh, hit points. But I guess we'll uh, we'll have Rahi lead us to the Sightless Sphinx. She is not fighting with us because I don't want her to die. I, I was going to say, I, <laughs> I don't think she needs to do any more than get us over there because yeah. this is going to get ridiculous. Oh, also, I guess I'll summon our Phantom Chariot. Look okay. normal looking horses this time. Oh, okay. Not powered by Narmers this time. Yeah. Well, Narmers is probably very disappointed. Uh-huh. Oh, no, Hollis, oh, no. you don't like me anymore. Lisa Frank Unicorns. That's what's next. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you have even seen those? I don't know. An ancient drawing somewhere. I appreciate that Hollis doesn't want to like overshadow my impact whenever I arrive on the field of battle. It's true. We got to surprise them. Exactly Shock and all. Shock and all. Mm-hmm. Shock, shock, shock and all. It's really hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> you mount up, ride forth, set off into the desert. Fortunately, you know, it's not an exceptionally far distant mm-hmm. distance for you to travel to get to the, uh, what you're going to hope is your final destination here. Not in the final destination movie kind of way, but you know what when I mean. When I watched the first one of those, like in high school, I cannot drive behind a truck, like pulling logs or anything. That that was might, the second one too. That, that might go through the windshield and murder me. I just I can't. Oh, no. That movie scarred me for life. Oh, it, <laughs> trust me. There's an entire generation of people that cannot drive behind trucks that have any sort of deceptively chained things in the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You all set off. You make your way across the desert, making your way out of the Red Ravine, climbing back up out of these these red rock canyon that you're in, ascending back up to the surface, traveling across the broken land here. That crunch, crunch sound of rock and shell breaking underneath the phantom wheels of this chariot as you go charging across the desert. All still casting Endure Elements? Mm-hmm. Just need to know if I need to worry about it. Mm-hmm. The sun 
ascends up behind you, and by the time it gets just five, six fingers over the, the horizon, you've already lost sight of the canyon behind you. Within two or three hours, the rock steadily gives way to sand as you exit from the Badlands here and then set off into the open desert, beginning to navigate your way, winding between the various dunes as they slowly crawl their way across the desert here. The dunes here aren't nearly as high as they were in the central portion of the parched dunes, closer to Chisisek's tomb and Falcon Ridge. Here they're lower, and you know that if you kept going further and further north that you'd eventually manage to make your way to, well, all the way up to the Golden Oasis, and then Thuvia if you kept going north and west beyond. Here, though, you just find yourself making good time as you navigate your way further and further into the desert. I believe the chariots have a 60-foot movement speed, as do the camels, correct? The chariot has 100, but we go the speed of the camels. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm still casting that spell that lets them... uh, Move at full speed. Yeah, move at full speed like they were on a road. Very well. So you travel for some time. Eventually, Rahi descends down far enough to flag all of you as the sun begins to approach its zenith. You'll know that you'll need to stop soon to at the very least get the camels, keep the camels from overheating those that aren't magical constructs of pure energy. Mm. And in the distance ahead, you can see looming up out of the desert, the head and shoulders of a statue buried completely beneath that. Mm. Rahi leads you closer to this and then you can find some shade in essence, under its chin, where the phronic beard sticks forward and creates a small arch for all of you to stop here. Whomever this statue belonged to, you don't know. And time has worn away its features to the point that you can make out eyes vaguely and lips vaguely, but only its prominent nose still remains. Rahi flutters down, helps all of you get the camels into some shade. I think your endure elements affects the party, but not the camels, correct? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I think you're splitting it four ways so everyone gets the six most hours. amount of time, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I cast Endure Elements on myself every day. Okay, huh. so you're splitting it three ways so that everyone else gets eight hours. Yeah, which is good because otherwise you wouldn't have to time it. Yeah, the day that you're traveling. Go ahead and give me a sense motive check from the party. On the statue? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hollis gets a five for a 15. Evil. I roll a 7 for a 14. Come on, Citra. I roll a 12 for 26. There the it is. The largest golem you've ever seen. Uh, I'll have golem bane scarabs. I get a 14 for a 21, and Narmer rolls a 10, which gets him an 11. Okay. Hmm. So, Masika, you dismount. Begin brushing down the camels. Create some water. Create some water for them. Put some buckets in front of them. Let them lap that up, which they do eagerly. Hollis, you're just still kind of perusing... Your spell book. I imagine you've just been kind of propped up in the back of the chariot this whole time as uh, mm-hmm. Sudi's been driving. Sudi's a driver. Yep. Always, just like real life. Mm-hmm. Sudi, like the driver in a in a cross country trip, you kind of hop out and do a couple like you know walk a couple circles around the outside of the vehicle, do stretch your leg, you know, yeah. <laughs> light calisthenics. A little light calisthenics. Yep. Citra, you dismount. Probably help Masika tend to the camels. Looking off to the side, you can see Rahi perched on the edge of the chariot, staring off in the direction that you've been heading up until this point. One hand drapes across her knee, and you can see her fingertips just beating a steady drumming rhythm 
on the side of her knee. Occasionally, she turns her head slightly back towards Hollis as if she's about to say something before she looks back towards the south, towards her homeland, and then back off in the direction of the Sphinx. Are you alright? She sits there for a long moment, probably cognizantly aware that you know, Hollis has glanced up from her spellbook and Sudius, you know, stopped one hand on uh, one of the ghost's camels, the other one holding up his foot as he bends his paw all the way back <laughs> up to his lower back. My father told you the truth. He did? Uh, but... He omitted a few things. Things that Such would as? put us in danger? I don't know if it would put you in danger or not. My father didn't know Usurib as well as some of the rest of us. Mm. Your brother wasn't close with your father. She chews her lip for a moment in a way that seems surprising for someone that you've seen be so vicious and violent when necessary. She stands up, still her paws managing to cling to the edge of the, the railing on the chariot before she simply turns around and crouches down, perching in reverse to face all of you. I could tell you his story better than my father could. Well, at this point, any information will probably be helpful. Especially since we're going to do our best to help him. Anything that we might be able to learn could maybe help that. I don't know if he can be helped. Why do you think that? She looks off for a moment, back towards all of you. Usura is gifted. He's, he was always stronger than the other children. Faster than the other children. More cunning. He gained friends and influence among the tribe easily. And in a small tribe like ours, he learned how to use that power. Hmm. As when he was young, the other cubs followed him. We were all in awe of him. He decided where we went, what we did, what games we played. He always won, but he never cheated. He was just better. As he grew up, he developed magical powers. My father said he was an, an adept, that nature itself granted him the divine magic. Hmm. This garnered him even more respect. She furrows her brows, and this caused his selfishness and pride to grow. And soon it turned to arrogance. He began to chafe at the limitations put on him by our father. He saw himself as as our father's natural successor, and grumbled whenever the other elders gently pointed out the rules of succession were set long ago and could not be changed. Some of the blame for Usareb's arrogance should be placed on my father's shoulders. She says this as if she's ashamed to even speak anything poorly of her father. How, how does your tribe pick the next leader then if it's not hereditary? It's a trial, mm. a contest, if you will. Usareb would have most likely been the next leader, as skilled as he was, but mm. it was not guaranteed to him. But mm. others would have had a chance, and he didn't like that. I sometimes feel that Usareb never played a game that he did not know he would win. Sounds like he needed some humble pie. Father fell as much under Usareb's sway as any of the other members of the tribe. Mm. My father felt proud of Usareb, as if he, she grits her teeth, as if his leadership had somehow led to producing such an excellent soldier, warrior, hunter. 
Hmm. He encouraged and spoiled Usurip. He let infractions slide and held him to a lesser standard of responsibility than any of the others. Ah. Mm. But as he grew, Father began to see the damage that he had inadvertently done. Father realized that Usurib no longer looked to him as a leader, and in fact, now saw himself as not just the next in line, but the de facto leader of the tribe. Usurib began to view Father as an elder whose time had passed. As more of an obstacle. Yes. The two clashed often, never physically, but in battles of words and will. And then eventually they came to a head when Usurib led a group of scouts into the desert without gaining Father's permission first. The scouts returned with fresh supplies, meat, leather, some excavated treasure, but one of the scouts had been injured in the battle with a desert giant. His leg was badly crushed, and only its removal allowed them allowed him to survive. Mm. Mm. Father laid the blame for the scout's injury solely at the feet of Usurib. I think in that moment finally realized that he had to put a stop to Usurib's influence before his arrogance led the tribe to ruin. Mm. That was that night father was considering his punishment, considering exile. Mm. That night was when Usurib took the matter into his own hands. He she shuffles slightly. He came to me that night like he did my sisters partly out of curiosity and partly out of rebellion he decided that he would break the tribe's traditional taboo and go into the sightless sphinx he told me that when he re-emerged from the sphinx that with all of the treasures and secrets it contained that the tribe would finally recognize him as the rightful leader and elevate him above our father I don't know what happened to him inside of there Usurab loves power, prestige, and the respect that it gives him. Hmm. She looks back, her eyes damp, but not crying. Father cannot accept it, but I do not think Usurab can be swayed. Not if he's found that power. He cannot admit he was wrong. He never could. Well, if he ran into that Glaberzoo, he probably wished for more power. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, and thus he probably got it. irredeemable anyway. Father asked you to save him out of his own guilt. Mm. Because he believes he's responsible for what Usreb became. But he is not. Mm-mm. Usreb formed his own path. She clenches her fists, which is why I do not think you should risk yourself. Why didn't you go with him? Your sisters did. Because it was a real bad idea. I I think I was one of the few people that saw Usurab for who he was. Mm. He was gifted and powerful and skilled, but I could see his faults where others couldn't. I knew that I knew that anyone that accompanied him, even if they did, managed to survive, to escape, to emerge. Usurab would not be recognized by the tribe for his power if he ignored our traditions, our mm-hmm. beliefs. The rules of the elders. If anything, that would have ensured his exile. She nods. And probably everyone who went with him. Your people are much as ours. You understand how it is in the desert. Masika nods. You cannot have someone with you that you cannot rely on. Mm. Everyone's life depends on everyone. But the others, the others were taken in by him. There might still be hope for them. Well, I think we'll have to find out when we get there. 
I thought you should know. I don't think my father hid this from you out of a desire to cause you trouble. I think only that my father is ashamed of if perhaps he had been firmer. All this tragedy could have been avoided. Well, I'm sure it's not an easy thing to admit that there's no saving your child either. She nods. There is always a chance that maybe he learned a lesson from what he has experienced in the Sightless Sphinx. There may still be a chance, but I do appreciate you giving us this information. You have been good to our people, and any hunter should know exactly what they're facing before they enter into a monster's den. You said that nature gave him his power? Did he cast spells like Masika? No, he did not have any clockwork fish. Mm. Did he have an animal at all? No. He... Sometimes he would wander into the desert, particularly during storms or when the winds picked up, and then he'd return. Mm. He could heal, but he preferred to harm. All right. Storms, huh? Storm druid is what I'm thinking. Uh, evil storm druid, most likely. Probably now. <laughs> For sure now. Yeah. Well, if he wasn't already, yeah. Narma looks up at Masika. Shet. Set. Oh, yeah, Shet. on the desert. That's a thing. When I say shed, it almost sounds like I should bleep it. (laughs) 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 But not quite. Well, I guess we should be on our way then. The sun passes its zenith. All of you with something new to think on now. Mm. You mount back up and ride. It's only another three or four hours past that. Now, unfortunately, you're riding mostly into the sun. Mm. Having to squint, shade your eyes. Spending a lot of your time down in the shadowy recess, the valleys formed between the sand dunes as you navigate your way further and further. Eventually, though, you crest a rise. Standing in the desert ahead is the imposing statue of a massive sphinx. Even from here, you can make out the features of it. The wings, the woman's head, the long limbs, six legs in total the towering figure and most notably the lack of features on its blank face. You're coming in from the east and into the east the statue stares if it could be said to stare. As you crest the top of the rise you can see the statue ahead looming imposing. From this range you think from its base to its head it must be some 200 feet high perhaps 600 feet in length. Hmm. It's hard to even make out these details from this range. The entirety of it is surrounded by a ring of heavy stone blocks, encircling it like a perimeter, marred by frequent gaps and missing stones. You can only imagine that at one point a wide avenue led up to the colossal statue, judging by the way the sand drifts in front of it. However, if there are stone blocks there, they've been buried by the passing aeons and the sand blowing across the desert, obscuring it entirely. However, even from this range, you're still a quarter mile off. You can see that there are eight smaller sphinxes, Hmm. forming two rows of four, facing one another on either side of this invisible buried avenue leading up to the front of the structure. Very distantly, you can see small dots of color around its base, like tints. Mm. There it is. Well, how do we want to do this? It doesn't really look like we can sneak up on it. Mm -hmm. No. We could go at night. 
That would at least give us some cover. Option. But even out here, we'd still be visible. The stars will illuminate us. Well, and Citra can't see in the dark, so we'd have to have a light source anyway. Mm. You know that tonight is just past the half moon, so it's going to be waning. Yes. No, at that point, it'd be waxing crescent. No, it'd be waning crescent. It's waning, waning crescent. Yeah. There's not going to be a lot of light. So, in essence, it would be dim enough illumination that Citra could see in dim illumination as long as she's out in the open desert. I could wear my coal. I've only got the one left, though. Because I think that gives me dim illumination. That gives you low light vision? Or low light vision, yeah. Might as well wear it. I mean, Which is what all I've got is low light vision, too, so... So, that would be, be an option. Yeah, I mean, it would make things better. I mean, I still have one uh, application of the eye coal that we found a long time ago that would help me see at night so I wouldn't need the light source next time we go to town I think we should buy a scroll of dark vision and then I can scribe it and then I can make you a bunch of scrolls of dark vision hindsight mm. is twenty twenty. Mm. and we need to get this done <laughs> oh well I'm not saying let's go right now that would take forever <laughs> does it look like they have any kind of watch or anything like if we're seeing any of the gear tablilu like on patrol you would need to approach closer. Well, and also aren't they nocturnal? nocturnal? Which means we should probably attack during the day while they're asleep. Yeah, although feasibly that means they might have human guards during the day. You don't know. Hmm. I mean, they probably have some sort of watch 24-7. So, I mean, yeah. one way or another, we're going to be dealing with some stiff. I mean, mm-hmm. I just think we might as well approach now. Mm. Yeah. Rahi lands, kneels down in the sand, makes kind of a roughly circular mark. That is the Sphinx. She makes a dotted line around the outside of that. Those are the stones that encircle it. Our people use them as a barrier. I don't know what they were used there before or why they exist. Hmm. The avenue approaches the front, which is where the Sphinxes are. If you aren't flying, that's the only direction you could come from that you would have cover. Using the Sphinxes to approach closer to the larger. Hmm. She digs her claw in directly next to the Sphinx. Next to, but inside of the dotted ring. That is the bone forest. Bone, bone forest? forest? Yes. What's uh, that? Palm trees, but carved of stone and bone. Hm. That's interesting. Is it used for something? Hmm. Are there any buildings in this area at all? Anything we could use for cover or a place to hide? I I don't know if it's used for anything, no. And the only building is the Sphinx itself. Mm. There is its shadow, though. She points towards the Sphinx. And for a moment you realize that maybe... Maybe you've been misinterpreting something. The area north of the Sphinx that technically would be... You know, its northern side would be in shadow, depending on where the sun is, is dark. Far darker than it should be at this time of day. The shadow there. The shadow is always there. Hmm. Yes, that shadow. The shadow of the sightless sphinx never moves. Interesting. Hmm. Must be some kind of magic. But why? Well, who knows? I cannot see if they've encamped there, but... We always did. It is always cooler than the desert around it. Huh. Comfortable. And for those of us capable of hunting in the dark, safe. Hmm. So that's likely where they are encamped as well. And there's only one way in, one way out of the Sphinx? Yes. 
Although I know you have other magics. Mm, it's risky to do that kind of magic if you can't see. Hmm. Rashika. Yes, Narmer. What if I just did a quick flyby? No. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, you're not going to do a quick flyby of, of the evil temple complex to who knows what. Maybe a demon lord. I, I feel we like... we wouldn't know unless we tried. I, I feel like that's a bad idea. Hmm. No, I think we mm-hmm. should all go in together, and if we look like we're getting in a tight spot, we can always teleport out. Well, we can dimension door out, but yes. Oh, dimension door, whatever you call it. I didn't prepare teleport today. Well, I think approaching from the shadow would be a good idea. There will be no cover approaching the sta- the statue from that direction. Yeah, that's why oh. if you go through the the little baby sphinxes, you can at least kind of hide behind them as you go. That's true. Well, then that must be the way we have to go. Mm. The question is, are we going to go now or are we going to wait for nightfall? I mean, either way, they're going to be dangerous for us to face. Might as well go we now. May, we I may have a greater advantage on them in the daylight. At least we'll be able to all see. To throw out the mechanics, uh... Have you ever made a knowledge check on the gear to Blilu to know what they can do? I probably uh, I made a check to know that they exist. They're scorpion I guys. I don't honestly even know what they look like. So you guys have probably There's leveled up centaurs. since then. They're centaur scorpions. I mean, I know that. Yeah, they're like centaur scorpions. But like, are they like the scorpion king with the with the pincers <laughs> for hands? Or are no, they, they like... have normal hands because we found normal weapons on them. They wouldn't be able to use those if they didn't have hands. They have a bunch of hands. Maybe. Point. <laughs> I mean, I literally think they're half hu- They're like a sphinx. So or they're, a, yeah. So but they're like, dri- well, they're like, they're dryders, like driders, right? but they're scorpions. <laughs> yeah. Scorpions. I can scorpion see Rachel's dryders. face off to the side. There you go. See, they oh, also have like clippy clippies. I was not expecting them to have regular people hands and giant scorpion hands. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes sense. Oh. Gravy. When you are a centaur, you have all the that limbs of a centaur. That is really cool art, but oh goodness. <laughs> yep. Hmm. Eh, let's uh, just go now. Uh, maybe we can learn a thing about them. Yeah. I was going to say, if anyone wishes to make me a knowledge... Well, it's local. I'm going to have Sugar help me. I'm going to roll real good, apparently. Good. I am not, so it's probably a good thing you did. Yeah, I mean, Sugar aids. Um, I rolled a 19 on the die. You said local? So that yes. is 32. Yeah, I rolled an 8 for 23. Okay. It's one of my lower so, knowledges, but... Citra and Hollis both know about the gear to Bleedly. And at this point, I'm just committed to using that phrasing. <laughs> That's yeah. how I'm going to pronounce it. The G guys. So, Citra, you get one question. Hollis gets two questions pertaining towards the gear to Bleedly. So three nice. total. Three total. Uh, what you do know about them is the gear to Bleedly fiercely guard ancient places and treasures lost to history. Far from civilized eye, they thrive and piously protect their charges with the aid of monstrously large scorpions that Gear to Blilu keep as pets. Oh, wonderful. Uh, all Gear to Blilu share a zeal for religion, although the objects of veneration may vary from tribe to tribe. Some Gear to Blilu tribes still serve long-forgotten deities, preserving the divinity's names and holy rituals. Others embrace religions derived from prehistoric worship, devoted to the ideas of gods that once were or might never have been. Uh, most Gear to Blilu leaders are clerics or oracles and are, tend to be in charge of the tribe's religious observances and law. Tradition and service to the group's uh, important. Those who violate tribal beliefs are killed or exiled into the harsh wasteland. They believe that no sacrifice in life, including death in service to the gods, goes unrewarded in the hereafter. This belief makes them fierce and fearless warriors. Oh, boy. Uh, They tend to be 13 feet long and weigh 800 pounds. Oh, great. Good boys. (laughs) And girls. Great. 
And as a pertinent thing, while they can't have the same variety of um, philosophical or, in essence, mechanically speaking, alignment belief as a human does, most of them lean towards neutrality. Hmm. Okay. They're not evil by nature. They're just doing their thing. Sure. Fair enough. So, Citra, do you want to ask your question first, or should uh, you want to rotate? How do you want to do this? Um, I guess I'll go for defenses. Mm. Defenses? That's my favorite first question, too. Nope. Nope. No, they're just big scorpion people. <laughs> they have a ton. Of, they have a ton of natural armor. How's that? Uh-huh. In addition to the fact that they can wear armor. Do they have any special attacks? Special attacks? Oh boy. Okay, oh there God. we go. <laughs> they gonna, can probably say, they don't have any good special defenses. It's usually lots of special attacks. Can probably rend. It's probably grab. Yeah. Their first special attack is the fact that they do possess a stinger, and their stinger is poisonous. Uh, They can inject people with a poison. This poison causes uh, spasms, the loss of coordination, and then eventually paralysis. We take one and put it on a staff, and then we're that girl from Kipo. (laughs) It is is highly difficult to resist. Oh, okay. Don't like that. Lovely. Do we have anything that will help us? They have their pinchers, and if they hit you with their pinchers, then they get to grab you. Mm, yeah, mm. their common tactic does include, by the way, of pinchering you, and then stinging you. Mm. Yeah, like yeah. a scorpion. Sounds about uh, right. Oftentimes, while also stabbing you with whatever they have in their other hands. Yeah, brutal. In addition to that, uh, upon grabbing you, they also constrict mm. and can continue to crush you with their pincher-like claws for the following rounds. While you're being paralyzed by poison. Super fun. Uh, lastly, they do possess a single spell-like ability, and as it is their only one, I'll go ahead and give it to you. Uh, they are capable of casting Summon Nature's Ally 5, but only to summon giant scorpions. scorpions. That's how they <laughs> have their scorpions for pets. Oh, boy. Huh. Correct huh. me if I'm wrong, though, but not all of the gear to Lilulu are down with Hawketep, right? Like, some of them are starting to break away. Well, you do know that that one, one freed Masika's mentor, uh, Nima, and released her out into the desert, seemingly because he disagreed with. They are a very honorable people. And the fact that the cult is asking them to do things that are not honorable seems to be an issue. So it's possible that there may be some of them that are not sympathetic to the cult. Again, they're going to follow whatever orders they're delivered to by their leaders. Mm. The one that you found out in the desert seems to have just accepted the fact that he betrayed, in essence, his clan for his own honor, and so put himself in a self-imposed exile because he just left his people. Lastly, do they have any special qualities? Special qualities? Oh, boy. Eh, I'll give you the crappy special quality that they have first and then follow that up with the other good special qualities. Oh, boy. Uh, Their crappy special quality is they are centaur-like people, and therefore their upper torsos are approximately the size of a normal man, which Mm. means that they can only use weapons sized for a normal person, a average-sized human, as opposed to large-sized weapons. They also possess an ability called scorpion empathy, which functions as wild empathy, uh, Mm -hmm. save that it only works on scorpions. Cool. Cool. They gain a racial bonus equal to their hit die on any checks to use scorpion empathy. Uh, scorpions are normally mindless, but this empathetic communication imparts upon them a modicum of implanted intelligence, allowing Geertablilu to train scorpions and use them as guardians, although it does not grant them skills or feats, and ignores the fact that basically ignores the fact that they have a zero intelligence and allows them to actually teach scorpions tricks. Unlike I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they're going to be thrilled that an armor is keeping one in his chest cavity. Just, yep. You know. Oh, yeah. And in addition to that, while they do not have a climb speed. They are extraordinarily skilled climbers, getting a racial bonus on climb checks. They also get a racial bonus on perception checks and on stealth checks. 
in addition to that, yeah, I'll go ahead and throw this in there. Uh, they also possess tremor sense, mm. like a scorpion. Would be a great time to have <laughs> overland flight. Wouldn't it? They just kind of look over at that chariot and be like, it'd be great if this chariot could fly. (laughs) You know what also also just occurred to me? Scorpions are uh, invertebrates and humans are vertebrates. So there's like part of them has a spine and the other part is just all no spine. And it just like goes down at some point, just stops. And it's all (laughs) chitin, yes. Hold on one second. Oh, a 12th level. Bummer. What, to get overland flight? At 12th level, the chariot has air walk at will. Oh, that'd be super useful right now. <laughs> it only works for a round at a time, but kind of fun. Get, let us get the, you know, a sneak attack up in there. Yeah, yeah hopefully oh, and surprise. Right, it can fly at 14th level. Just straight up also, fly. Also, I don't think, uh, I don't think this in any way is going to impact any of your tactical plans, but I will throw this out there, one, because I find it a little funny, and two, because it would be under uh, special defenses for Citra. Any quadruped gets a bonus on combat maneuver defense with an additional bonus for each extra pair of legs. Ergo, they get a plus 12 bonus against trip attacks. Oh. So don't no. try to trip a... Are Multi-legged are decapod, creature. technically? I don't. Well, they're not uh, decapods, but they're... No, they're... They're like hexapods. They have 10? Yeah, because they have the eight legs like a spider, and then their two pinchers count as... Um, they're like arms, crabs. Whatever crabs are, you know? All right, we need a druid fact. Here we go. Scorpions are considered arachnids. Oh, um, that I know. Okay. They're a very diverse okay. group consisting of spiders, scorpions, ticks, mites, harvestmen, and more. I've never heard of a harvestman. They're like mayflies type terrifying. things. They all have eight legs and lack antennae. Well, there goes my tripping all the gear to leave blue plan. I was going to get out there with the co-patch and just trip guys. Yeah, okay. Yep. I just yeah. imagine oh, well. Hollis, that was her number one plan. I guess yep. I'm just going to have to do what I always do and smush them. Yeah, good luck with that. Yep. It's going to be a challenge. <laughs> okay. My, my thought was, you know, maybe we'd get a few on our side. But I don't think we I should really get too close to these guys. I think we should just bomb them from afar. I think like, we should just, just sneak as best we can. Yeah. With the tremor sense, we won't be able to get too close to them. No, period. let's just head in and see how this goes. Because, I mean, that's all we really can do. I do wish we could get a few on our side. That would be nice. Well, maybe <laughs> I if just we don't find know how leader. to go about that. We're going to be sneaking in, so I don't think they're going to be inclined to trust us just based on that. Yeah, I know. Maybe we'll get lucky. Again, you know that the only way that you could try to even talk with them talk would the be leader. to talk to their leaders. Yeah. So, like, if you could sneak into the camp and get to their leader and talk to them. Just, mm-hmm. We just go up there, and the first one that detects us, we go, take us to your leader. <laughs> no, they'll just murder us. failed, right? I, I don't think parlay works with uh, the gear to lead blue. Probably not. Okay, let's just try no, to sneak. No, we've trespassed on their home. We <laughs> leave the camels Masika tries to make the, you know, unified, like, desert UN, she's going to introduce Parlay. <laughs> you know. I mean, you always have Sudi who can do non-lethal damage nonstop. I mean, so, that's true. If you're mm-hmm. wanting to not murderize them. I mean, I'm going to try not to murder them anyway. They're intelligent creatures. I'm going to do the best I can. may just be misguided, so, you know. I make no promises because... Uh, because wizard. <laughs> I didn't really prepare. I don't have that feat that lets me make things non-lethal. So, yeah. Masika so believe, will uh, take her crossbow off the camel and shove it in her haversack. I can't actually carry it because then I'll be encumbered. Are you trying for any level of stealth? I think we're I mean, going to kind of creep up behind on the, the ba- by the baby sphinxes. But if they mm-hmm, have tremor yeah. sense, they're going to notice us anyway. But so. they may not be the only things. Yeah. Well, their tremor sense may only go out to like 30 or 60 feet, so we could still get close enough to possibly take some shots at them. The, smaller, the two rows of the smaller sphinxes leading up to it are about 360 feet away from the stone ring encircling 
the structure. So I guess we're going to try to stealth. Mm-hmm. So whatever, uh, whatever passes for stealthing in broad daylight in a desert, you know. Yeah. I mean, we're it's, wearing we're linens, small. right? Well, also keep in mind heat distortion and distance. That's true. Yeah. It'd be like Hominoptera where you don't see it except for at a very specific time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so go ahead and do me a favor and uh, everyone roll me a stealth check with a plus 36 bonus. <laughs> for distance. <laughs> I'll make this easy on you. I still rolled in that one. I rolled a three. <laughs> because because uh, there's a one on the die. Because he's a black cat trying to. Because there's a one the on the die, and every d twenty's got a one. I rolled a three for a forty-one. I rolled a six, which gets me a uh, fourteen. So a f- wait, no. Gracious. What is sixteen plus thirty-six? Fifty-four. Fifty. This something. is maths beyond what we normally something. have to do. Yes, I got a fifty something. Fifty-two. 52. Oh, 10 more than the answer to everything. I rolled an 18 for a 67. All right. So our audience at home will not be able to see this. However, I will now move my players to their new map. Big boy map. And uh, you guys are going to want to zoom out. Oh, it big. It's not even loading. You'll see tiny little dots up there, (laughs) which are... Oh, no. Oh, man. Which are your character? <laughs> this is, a, this is an, one square is twenty feet. Zoom map? out to ten percent. Oh my gosh! Zoom out oh to ten percent. As far out as you can go, and we still probably need to go out further. Wild. Every square of this is thirty feet of distance. <laughs> oh, 30. Oh, every square is thirty. Oh my gosh! Wow. So wow. Uh, yeah, and if you scroll way down, you can see the the sightless sphinx down there. <laughs> it does really give you the scale of it, though. Like, holy cow! We'll need Dang, to screenshot this and share this. With some We're literally just like itty bitty little ants running around. Book five is supposed to be the dungeon crawl book, people. They're throwing it in apparently a book early in Mummy's well, Mask. Book one had dungeon crawls too. <laughs> the big dungeon crawl, you know, like the whole book is the dungeon. That's mm. usually book five. Mm. Yo, I heard you liked dungeons, so. <laughs> Put a dungeon in a dungeon in a dungeon. Thing? Here's a bunch of dungeons. So. Okay. Yeah, wow. but pyramids usually only have like five or six rooms. They're big. This is Sphinx. <laughs> yeah. So I'm assuming before you all set off that you take a I second. Uh, cast un- mage armor. Cast mage armor. Unload the the packs and everything from the camels. He has no problem staying behind and watching over your camels and keeping an eye on all of that. Well, while you we're go not going to make her enter a place that's forbidden to her people or anything like that. I mean, she's honestly probably not going to do super well if they sting her because mm-hmm. then she probably won't be able to fly and then mm-hmm. she's mincemeat and much lower level than all of you yep also this so you descend down keeping to the shadow of the dunes as long as you can before doing your best to keep the row of sphinxes leading away from the sightless sphinx between you and where you think these gear to Blilu may be. Again, you believe they're nocturnal, so you're going to hope that moving during the day now gives you some modicum of protection. A wide avenue leads up to the colossal statue of the seated sphinx. Though the sphinx's sloped shoulders, powerful lion body, and clawed limbs are skillfully crafted. Its face is an obliterated and jagged mass of stone. The scouring force of erosion seems absent here. There's a deliberate rawness that has been infused in the degraded face. Almost 
tormented, almost malicious devastation that gives the still figure an ominous aura. Huge paving stones may have once formed a path to the statue, but now a carpet of sand blows across the broken slabs. Two rows of the smaller sphinxes, their faces flat and featureless as well, blindly gaze at each other across the avenue from atop their stone pedestals. As you reach the edge of one of these, you can stare around it up the path and see a ring of heavy stone blocks which encircles the large sphinx beyond the avenue. A rough perimeter, marred by frequent gaps in missing stones. I mean, the this statue is like of the Stonehenge sphinx, level of gaps here. Yeah, they're pretty large gaps. In some places, like 70 feet across. Yeah. The statues here that you find yourself hiding behind are approximately 30 feet in height and are close to over 100 feet in overall length if you count their forward paws. They stare silently, and as you reach here, you can crouch down. Well, actually, only Hollis needs to crouch to keep her cowboy hat from sticking over the uh, the edge of one of these sphinx arms. The rest of you, they're about five and a half feet high. Oh, yeah, I so gotta crouch. Even just standing, you can stay below them. Masika doesn't have to crouch. She's not even five feet tall. <laughs> Good for you. In the distance, you can see the large blocks, each one of those about 15 feet in height that encircle the outside of this structure. Uh, I'd say that you can make a perception roll, but keep in mind that you're taking a minus 36 range penalty right now. So, oh, no but thanks. I have a zero no modifier, odds. so I think I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, roll, I roll a perfect 20 and get a negative 16. <laughs> I guess let's... uh. Do our next, you know, Assassin's Creed stealth forward. Yeah, I was thinking more like, you know, SEAL Team 6. SEAL, <laughs> Seal Team 6 or whatever. Duh, duh, All right. duh, uh, duh, so go ahead and make me another duh. stealth check with a plus 33. Oh, I rolled the exact same number on the die, a 3. But this time I get a 36. All right, so... I roll a 10 for a 53. A 46. I rolled a 13 for a 59. Okay. No, 56. I can't do math. Where's my calculator? <laughs> so all of you dart around the edge of this front-facing paw, rush forward into the shadow between the two paws of this sphinx, reach the other side, glance back around. Uh, go ahead and give me another check, this time with a plus 27. Hmm. This time I rolled an 11 for a 40. Uh, 19 for a 46. I get a 51. Roll a 6 for a 46. Okay. So you, you rush across the distance, circling around this one. Uh, in Sudi's case, probably climbing up and you know sliding over the top of the paw extended here before rushing across the distance. Sudi and Hollis easily outpacing the rest of the party. Mm. Sudi with his monk training, Hollis with her long infernally legs. long legs. You rush across the distance and reach the second sphinx. No sound of alarm's gone up. You can go ahead and make me another stealth check with a plus 24 bonus. Hmm, there's another three. I rolled a three for a 29. Uh, I rolled a one, which gets to 33. Uh, I roll an 18 for a 52. Uh, I rolled a four for a 41. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, you rush forward, reaching the second paw of the second statue. Da, 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 da. Then, yeah, from this range, you still can't make out anything. All right, so go ahead and give me another stealth roll from the party, this time with only a plus 18. Okay, I rolled 
A six, so slightly better. I got a 26. Okay, I rolled an 11. That is a 39. I rolled a seven with the bonuses gets me a 33. I rolled a 13 for a 44. So you rush past this, reaching the third of the four sphinxes as you reach its leg. Glancing out around this, you can see the, uh, the sphinx looming ahead. It's darkened shadow casting a, uh, a wide swath. Spooky. Uh, so everyone make me a stealth check with a plus 15. Mm, nine. My dice are really Uh-oh. into threes. I got a 25. Uh, I rolled a two for a 27. I rolled a 15, which with the bonuses gets me a 38. I rolled a 14 for a 42. Okay. So, Sudi, go ahead and roll me a perception roll with oh a boy. minus 15. <laughs> Perfect 20 uh, for oh. 23. <laughs> sure. There it is. <laughs> hey, Sudi is pers- ready. this is a I'll good place it. to see it. So. Yep. So, all of you rush your way forward. Again, you reach that first sphinx you, sphinx, you darted around it. You reach the second one. You clambered past. You got past it. You reach the third one. Now you're kind of in the cradling embrace between the two front-facing paws of this third sphinx. As Sudi dicks his claws in enough to, like, lift his uh, his head up, his little ears, and poke, poking up over the top of this as his eye scans the, uh, the sphinx ahead of you. Through Again, his turban? Yes, I have little gaps. Little, little, for his. Yeah, I get, like, little <laughs> gaps for my... Uh, ears in my turban. Yep. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to hear. It'd be like wearing headphones exactly. all, be all the muffled. time. Yeah, it'd be like super muffled, and that's no fun. And we all know how not fun it is to wear headphones all the time. <laughs> uh, yep. But Sudi, looking ahead, you can see a large gap leading up to the front of the Sphinx, maybe some 75, 80 feet across through the large stone slabs, although there are smaller gaps some 10 feet across here and there that you can see. As you look over in the distance, you can see those strange white palms on the southern face of the statue, the opposite side from its shadow. These, again, she described them as made of stone and bone. Palm grove on that side. And even from here, you think you can see what look to be maybe small, not tents, but pavilions set up in the shadow of those trees like an open-aired pavilion that you can see erected there to provide additional shade or comfort to any individuals there. Although from this range, you can't see if there's actually any people there. Beyond that, you can also see vaguely into the shadow of the Sphinx, enough to see that there are darkly there at least two very large tents, as in probably these massive tents maybe 30 feet across. Uh, held up by what looked to be two large tent spokes reaching up to a height of some, you'd say, 25 or 30 feet themselves before curving down on the outside. So not like the big circular circus tents, but more like like tents that you'd see at an outdoor wedding. Fair enough. Like those marquee tents. Yes. You don't see any movement yet. And so no sign of anybody. Again, We're there might be some movement. We're still way far away. Yeah, there might be some movement of people in the shadow underneath the um, pavilion, but they're still about 565 feet away from you. (laughs) Wow. Okay. But you're making it. (laughs) I mean, we're making it just by sheer distance. Um, At that point, you can all continue your run. Now it would be with a plus 12 stealth bonus. Okay. Hmm. Hey, I rolled a 17. Me too. Hmm. I got a 31. Rolled an 11 for a 33. 
I also rolled the 17, which gets me a 37. I rolled a 12 for a 37. Okay. So, yeah, you guys do well. You dart out from behind this one, rush forward, and reach the fourth and final Sphinx. As you reach his arm, uh, go ahead and give me a perception roll from the party with a minus 12 penalty. (laughs) Jessica just makes a face. I went from a perfect 20 to a natural one. I got a 16 for a four. Masika sees squat, but Narmer rolled a 15. Uh, So he gets a 17 after all the minuses. Because okay. he has a good perception. I rolled a five for a seven. <laughs> no, looks clear. Oh, God. Hmm. All right. That let's, phrasing, man. Every time yeah. you say that phrasing, I know we've messed up. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, keep on going. Mm-hmm. Yep. So go ahead and give me a stealth check from the party. Uh, this would be with a plus nine. Okay. Rolled a six. Oh, I also rolled a 16. Hey, I got a 27. <laughs> Uh, I rolled a 16. That is a 35. I rolled an 11, which gets Masika a 28. An 8 for 30. Okay. So, yeah, you dart your way forward. Probably your heart's beginning to pump as, uh, I mean, one, you've already run like 600 feet to get to this point. So, Mm. like two football fields as you're darting between things. Hollis, as fit of an archaeologist <sighs> as she is, isn't exactly, you know, she's an elf. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a 12 exactly I'm okay. This is well, why I couldn't good. be an adventurer. <laughs> yeah, cardio. All the running. <laughs> but yeah, you rush your way forward, dart into the shadows here. Go ahead and give me another perception roll, this time with a minus nine. <laughs> uh, I get a negative seven. Six for a 15. Masika gets a six. Uh, Narmer only rolled a two, but he has a 14, so that's 16 minus nine. So he only gets a seven. Yeah, we're not not good this round. I rolled a nat 20 and it got me a 25. Hey, there it is. I had to hold back the giggle. Just saying. (laughs) You could have giggled. Feels like a tense moment. I I didn't think a giggle was appropriate. In the distance ahead of you, Citra and only Citra, you kind of, you pop up. Again, you have to stand on your tiptoes to be able to see over the arm of this sphinx as you make your way forward. Mm. You can see ahead of you, one, you can see for a moment. Again, it's like this massive scorpion, although you can see the armored upper torso of a woman. Four of her legs are planted in the sand. The other four are partially up on the side of the stone block clinging to it. She seems to be paying little attention and has not noticed the party yet as she seems to be in the process of dragging a stone across the end of her spear periodically spitting on it to get a little extra oomph as she sharpens the end of her spear every once in a while she looks over and makes a gesture and then you can see the faintest movement like the bob of maybe a stinger or the edge of a leg this creeping over the top of one of the other stones ahead of you. Crouching down, I imagine you can let your compatriots know. Yeah, I figure she mouths very, well, she mouths it because she doesn't want to actually say anything, but she says two and then like makes a little sign with her fingers of of eight legs. Hollis makes little crab pincers back at you. (laughs) She nods. (laughs) I will point out that if you are whispering from this range, it is a minus 20 penalty for them to hear you. She's <laughs> paranoid. Okay. This is more I, fun. She is not, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're like 100 feet away from them. Uh, Hollis, since you made the check before, you uh, you do know that their tremor sense extends out to a range of 30 feet. 
Mm. Which means that they cannot have detected you yet with their tremor sense. But if you, your only option from here is to rush the last hundred feet, or in this case, the last 90 feet to the, the edge of the stone monoliths. Which will definitely be seen. I mean, come on, there's like no way. And then again, the only cover there is the stone monoliths, at which point you'll be within the 30 foot range. So I mean, yeah. we could start taking shots at them, you know, crossbows or and all that. Lure them out somehow. That's what I was thinking is like shoot them with a crossbow to get them to come out. Hollis's fireball will reach there. Yeah, I mean, I've got some spells <laughs> if we want to just murder them. They're not just stealthy. Fireball them. Well, my, my concern, right, yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't want to really make them think they're under attack, though, because they may just go back and get the rest of their tribe. I mean, once then, we once woo. combat starts, it's going to be loud enough for everybody to hear it, regardless of what we're doing. I guess that's true. So com- <laughs> hearing combat is a minus 10 perception check. That's how loud combat is, uh, which means that even Hollis, with her zero perception modifier, if she rolled a one, could hear a fight taking place within 100 feet of her. Mm. Oh, that boy. being said, the closest tent is a good 300 feet away, which means that it would still be a DC 20 to notice the combat, so people might not respond immediately okay. depending on how long the combat goes on. Alright. All right. I guess all right. it all comes Hold down on. to whether or not we trust Masika's mentor in that the Gear to Lee Blue might be swayed to join us. Here's what I can do. I don't know if it's a good plan. I can cast a wall of fire to obscure their vision of us as we run forward. But there will be a wall of fire in the way, so we'll have to go around the wall of fire. <laughs> it's can a I? clever distraction. But they can feel us running forward. Yeah, but they'll, they'll know, but they can't fire arrows at us because they won't be able to see us. I don't think that's an, that's, that's a pretty hostile action, though, isn't it? It's not going to touch them. I mean, Nima said that a few of them might not really like working with the cultists, but their leaders are the only one that's going to change their orders. They see us coming. They're going to attack us anyway. Mm. Well, that's what I mean. Do we want to try and bypass the ones on guard and try to get straight to the, the There's leaders? There's no way around. We can't bypass these guys. They're going to see well, us. Not, not these two, but if we go around the backside of the Sphinx. How? Without them seeing us? From Backtrack. It is an option, although from the backside of the Sphinx, you would have to run across about We'd 180. Like, yeah. Yeah, 180 I mean, feet of I mean, open. I'm just throwing desert. ideas out there. It is an idea. <laughs> like, yeah. We're going we're gonna to be closing a distance uh, either way. I think we're going to have to go the distance and go for speed and mm-hmm. just rush them. Well, that's so not we're, a we're not going to try rush. to negotiate with them. Well, you can yell at them and like see if they'll not my whole fire thing. on you, but I don't know if they're going to not fire on you. I'm pretty sure they're going to fire on us. But that might be could, a little metagamey of me. We to, could just, oh yeah, they're going to fire I'm pretty us. sure they are. I just didn't know if we were going to try or because, I mean, we did get that information from your mentor, so I didn't know if we were trying to take advantage yeah, of it But we don't know where the leaders are. They could be at the pavilion by the bones. They could be at the big pavilion. They could be in the Sphinx with Sarathet. We have no idea where we would even try to start to look for them, and we're going to get caught by something before we get to the leaders. What if we shinned Shitra in alone. Um, no, I'm not going to by myself. Oh, okay. You're the only one who can turn a visual. What's the name of yes, that but family? Not for that long. The the Girtably Blue family. Well, that's this clan. This is that's this tribe here. But we had his crest or whatever, so it might be interesting to be like, hey, we have news about so and so. 
We don't know. Do we remember? Do we? Did we get his name? No, we don't have his crest. We buried it with him. Yeah, I know, but we, we could at least use the name as maybe a way for them to. You well, you didn't actually have the name. You mm. copied down the symbol, but you don't know the gear typically loot language. Mm. You can go, hey, hold up your book no, and that's go. Too far away. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I can I mean, mention Doris, I like, but I don't want to. No, I mean, I like trying to out. negotiate as much as we can, but I just don't see a way that, that that's going to really work here. What if we use earth shape to make a giant shimbo in the shand? I'm not a dang druid. All Unfortunately. Right, so, Unfortunately, okay, for this sure. Is what I think we're going to have to turn into an earth elemental and just glide over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's let them rush us. I can, I can deflect a couple of the arrows if they shoot at me. So I'll go run in first. That might give us some time to at least get within range to shout at them, hey, we're friendly. But are we? I mean, until they say otherwise. Do we have any we're of them gold masks? You with unnecessary can. risk. Do we have any of them gold masks the cultists wear? I'm sure. All we the do. ones we oh. found out here have been... I mean, they're badly burned. Yeah, because they've exploded. I mean, that's not actually a bad idea to try we to pull one over on them. Also, the not going to make us any outfit. friends. I mean, they seem to just kind of wear normal stuff. No, they all have been wearing those robes and everything. Hmm. We don't have the rest of the uniform. Which conveniently blow up when they do. <laughs> yes. Uh, what's worse is we don't have any of their masks because okay. we sold them all whenever we last went to Oh, yeah, because we haven't fought them since we... And uh, we have not fought them since then, so we haven't collected any more masks. So, unfortunately, that's not going to work. <laughs> That was all a good right, idea, though. Let's just, let's just go and see how this shakes out. Maybe they won't immediately fire on us. I think oh, they're going to. Here's what I'll do. Haste. <laughs> That's a Haste great idea. Haste is probably idea. a good idea. I'm, I'm not against vanishing, but it only goes for up to five rounds. So I've got 30 seconds of invisibility. Well, we're running well, very fast. To be fair, hasted, you can close the distance to them in two rounds. Narmer. Yes. Do we do we want to try the ambush approach? No. <laughs> I, I could shift or shavers. Hollis cast haste and run. Shavers. Come on, shavers. Shavers. Come on. I don't think this is a good idea. Hollis is running. You have haste. We're doing on you. it anyway. Yep. Sudi's gonna run. Uh, Hollis is running. Masika's running. She doesn't want her spell to run out before we use it. Okay. Uh, is Citra casting invisibility on herself before the, you run? Yeah, just to be safe. Okay. So Citra turns invisible. Sudi takes off at a run. You all dart out into the open, rushing your way forward. Sand kicking up around, you know, four tracks of sand kicking up as three of you apparently run out. We just Naruto run. <laughs> Citra kicking up sand everywhere as she's running, although completely invisible as she charges across the distance. Naruto, Flash, whatever, you know, pick your pick your speed running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sudi beginning to outdistance the rest of you as you rush forward. Ahead, you can hear the woman. You can see her start, hear her almost drop her weapon as it clangs against the side of the stone. Yeah, that was unexpected. Before she lets out a shout. Hey, we're friendly. As <laughs> you're running at them, uh, out of curiosity, weapons out. Masika doesn't know. have any weapons armed. And Ms. Ms. None of us have weapons out, <laughs> except for maybe Citra. But, but Citra's she's also invisible. Citra's invisible. Yeah, Citra's yeah. invisible. Also, yeah. hey, we're friendly. We're just real fast. <laughs> they 
they shout out an alarm and I will have the party roll initiative or diplomacy hey. next time. If we're even going to have combat because this is so ridiculous. <laughs> this was a terrible idea. <laughs> Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyrighted 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.